We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going. It's it's Sunday night. Yeah. We never record this late. This is very strange. We used to. And like the beginning, mm-hmm. but also in the summer, yeah. And like the sun was still out, kind yeah. of. Yeah, I uh, didn't work on any notes this week <laughs> until Sunday morning. Actually, it wasn't until Sunday around one thirty. So <laughs> hey, you know what? You gotta have weeks like that. Yeah, I just didn't do stuff. I was doing other things. Doing fun things. Okay. So, we are out. Yeah, I I was doing other fun things. That was a weird transition. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. I don't care. (laughs) So. (laughs) Ignoring that. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) God. So, we are now in April, which means no more Wicked Mock Madness. We're back to our regularly scheduled programming of murder. I'm not starting with something super dark this week. Ooh. I'm easing us back in. Okay. Okay. I didn't want to be like, and witchcraft kind of sucked, and now I'm going to tell you about a horrible murder. Right. And now we're going to talk about murders of children. (laughs) Yep. Super death. Here we go. (laughs) Buckle up. So this week... We're going to be talking about Bertha Heyman. Okay. Good name. Okay. Solid name. I can tell by the look on your face that you have no idea who this is, which is awesome. Yeah, I've got the I've got the memory of a goldfish, so even if I've heard this, it's not ringing any bells. That's great. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. That fits into my plans quite nicely. Bertha. What a great name. Bertha, yeah. Bertha. Yeah, we'll get into it. (laughs) Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 Jerry Walton blog post. 2019 Atlas Obscura article by Sabrina Imbler. 2019 Mental Floss article by Christy Puchko. A 2018 Professional Criminals of America revised blog post. 1888 Daily Alta California article and the 1886 Professional Criminals of America book by Thomas Burns. Ooh, Professional Criminals of America. Mm -hmm. Did Bertha start Mary Kay? No, but that'd be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Described by famous New York City detective Thomas F. Burns as, quote, one of the smartest confidence women in America, end quote. Confidence women? 
Was that was that a category of women? Confidence women? It's con women. Oh. Yeah, they yep. called it like a confidence man and a confidence woman. That's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> My brilliance is showing. Great. Great. Cool, 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 cool. Right from the top. Let's go. Yep. Big Bertha, a.k.a. Bertha Schlesinger, was born in 1851. Yep. Of, of course they have to have big in front of it. Yeah. Man. Okay. There's going to be a double meaning for Big Bertha later on, but we'll get there. She is noted as stating that she was 13 at the time she was sent to New York to visit an uncle, which would have put her arrival around 1864, after which she decided to stay in America. Okay. Where is she from? We'll get there. Originally? We'll get there. That's one of my next points. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Slow down. You're going too fast. I can't. You're like the Titanic <laughs> going for that... For that iceberg, just slow down. <laughs> I should note that many places say she didn't come to the U.S. until 1878, but that doesn't really jive with the timeline. So I'm going to okay. mention it, but also go on record saying that it's mathematically inaccurate if we are to believe her age. Yeah, I said it. I'm coming for you. Ooh, shots at historians. Shots fired. I'm probably wrong, but I'm firing those shots anyway. <laughs> the cubby is cracked. Get over it. <laughs> Set phasers to stun. <laughs> pew, pew. <laughs> That's way after 1900. <laughs> phasers. I just start throwing sticks at people. Pew, pew. <laughs> According to Professional Criminals of America, Bertha is a native of Koblen, Prussia, aka Poland. Okay. Near Breslau, Germany. Nice. One marriage record notes her parents as David Schlesinger and Ernestine Frankel. Ernestine. Yeah. That's These a name. Really, really good at naming women. Yeah. Bertha and Ernestine. Mm hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What a choice. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine, like, <laughs> Gen Z baby names? <laughs> Ernestine. <laughs> I really want something kind of different for my baby. Let's what's something that like really went out of fashion, like pre 1900s. Ernestine. We can call her Ernie for short. <laughs> oh, my God. Baby E. Baby E. And we'll just always call her that and never call her by your real name because it's really gross. <laughs> but that's why it's great. Okay. Her father is noted as serving a five year stint in prison in Koblenz. Okay. Or, yeah, Kobylin for forging checks. So that just kind of... Uh-oh. Sets the That's tone. the kind of household she was raised in. Yep. Was a, it's okay if it's not our money. It is now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Shortly after arriving in New York, Bertha married a man named Friedrich Fritz Krakow. At 13? Not at 13, but like... Okay. A little while after. Friedrich okay. was a partner at a very small bank in New York that catered to German speakers. Nice. Okay, as you would. As you would. They happened to meet when he saw her working as a cleaning woman, and he became entranced by her beauty. 
You go, Bertha. The pair married in November 1870, at which time Bertha was 19. Okay, good. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. Does that fit within your timeline? Yes. 19, 13? Yes. Okay. 19. She was 13 going on 27, <laughs> according to the <laughs> other timeline. <laughs> oh, no. The wrong timeline. Wow. Yeah, that wouldn't be right, because 27 would be way too late to get married. Yes. During that time. Yes. You're a thorn back, but I really <laughs> like you. <laughs> Let's get hitched. They continued to live in New York for a few more years before relocating together to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1875. You know, it's just uh, the New York of the Midwest, as they say. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they did in the in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> you know what, Bertha? You know, it's kind of like New York. <laughs> it's kind of like New York. I hear they got really great cheese there. Let's go check yeah. it out. Instead of the Big Apple, it's the Big Cheese. Whatever you say, Fritz. There you go. And once they got there, they opened a millinery store. So they made hats. Nice. You know, people need hats if they're working outside all the time. And if it truly is the New York of the Midwest, you're going to need your nice going out hats. So, right. Not just your farming hats. Can't be milking cows and, you know. A bowler. Yeah, how dare. It's a little bold for milking. (laughs) The details are unclear. But according to an interview she gave, the pair had lived in Milwaukee for two years before he, quote, came in and kissed me. Soon after, he went out and I never saw him again, end quote. Oh, she definitely murdered him. (laughs) She murdered the hell out of him. He was pig feed the next day. Bertha obtained a divorce and later got remarried in 1877. So two years after they had moved there to a traveling suspender salesman named Mr. John Heyman. Well, you know, it's hard to keep those pants up when you're working so hard in the farms. Yep. Everyone needs a little support now and then. Right. With suspenders. Door to door. Ambitious. The pair ran the millinery for a time before they moved to a nicer and more expensive home, where Bertha gained a reputation for entertaining young German actresses as well as the men who were interested in said actresses. Gross. This is getting a little Gislaney, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Due to, uh, (laughs) shall we say, unpleasant rumors regarding their activities, the pair left Milwaukee and relocated to New York City in the spring of 1880. I think she was kind of running a brothel a little bit. A little bit. You know... If you gotta run a brothel, the hats aren't doing so well. May not be the right place. (laughs) The hats are the only clothing. Hats and suspenders. This is a hats and suspenders only establishment. (laughs) Those are the sponsors of the party. (laughs) You know, like instead of being sponsored by like Liquid Death, it's sponsored sponsored by. Heyman's hats and suspenders. Heyman's <laughs> hats and suspenders. Protect your top and keep it up all at the same time. 
grouse. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. It wasn't long after this that Bertha took part in a number of swindling transactions, and as a result, garnered the reputation as one of the smartest confidants, or con, women in America. Nice. While she and her husband were traveling to New York from Chicago, Bertha struck up a conversation with a Pullman Palace car, or that's a sleeping car, conductor. During the course of their talk, she convinced him that she was in possession of a number of wealthy assets that she needed help managing. Oh. Yes. Well, did they happen to be in a hat box? I don't know. They didn't say, uh. but that'd be hilarious. Or a suspender <laughs> she, storage she trunk. Got, she just got her best hat box and like it's covered with stickers of beautiful German actresses. <laughs> I got so many assets in here. It's just like all like receipts. So many assets. The conductor, Mr. E.T. Perrin, believed her. And Bertha was able to trick him into not only quitting his job to take over as her estate manager. No. With claims that she'd pay him six times his current salary. But also into giving her $1,000 roughly $29,000 today, in order to settle some matters before he could take over. That was probably like his entire salary. Yep. And savings. That was his entire salary for the year. Oh, man. Oh, this poor schmuck. Yep. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Thinking this was a golden opportunity, he loaned her the money. After arriving in New York, Bertha and her husband stayed at top hotels, such as the Windsor and Brunswick, where she ran up bills as well as kept a respected lawyer, Mr. Body, on retainer to advise her. Mr. Body. Like T. Mr. Body. Oh, is his first name P? (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Peabody. He invented Zumba. He invented Zumba. An auto-tune. If you watch that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Peabody and Sherman. So good. <laughs> it was during her stay at one of the many fancy hotels that she occupied when she claimed, quote, a lawyer approached me and asked me questions, ending with declaring I must be the heiress to the $8 million, which today would be roughly $225 million, Hyman estate. Just think what a temptation it was or would have been to any woman. I want you to remember that. It was the result of a hasty impulse, not premeditated. Well, I kept up the deception for some time. End quote. You know, this reminds me of that Netflix documentary of the heiress recently. <sighs> the fake heiress from yeah. Germany. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe she knew about her. She knew about Bertha and she's like, I'm going to pull a Bertha. <laughs> Except uh, sans Milwaukee and suspenders. <laughs> I'm gonna pull up Bertha. Instead of Milwaukee, I'll go to Morocco. There you, there go. you go. They it's, both start with M. It's fine. Right. It's fine. It's they sound very similar. <laughs> Milwaukee, Morocco. Is the Morocco. <laughs> Morocco is the modern day Milwaukee. So. There you go. There you go. Sorry, Morocco. There you go, Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> Balls in your court, Shonda. <laughs> Big Bertha. <laughs> That's her next hit. 
It's got a cow with suspenders on the like, with like hip hop music in the background. And a fancy sponsored, hat. sponsored by Liquid Death. <laughs> Bertha later found herself in the Superior Court of New York City Uh-oh. in September of 1880, where she was being sued for obtaining under false pretenses one thousand and thirty-five dollars or roughly $29,000 today, from Mr. Perrin, as well as the $5,000, or $139,000, in services she had swindled from her lawyer, Mr. Botti. This is exactly like that lady. How do people do this? Like, truly, it must be confidence. Like, that has to be be the only thing. Confidence and sociopathy. Yep. (laughs) When she stated that Mr. Botti was the one that had told her she was an heiress. There you go. It's his fault. (laughs) Yep. Mr. Botti fired back that she had petitioned him, not the other way around. Uh Uh-oh. She was also accused of owing the firm Bates, Reed, and Cooley another cool $5,000 or $139,000 today. Dang. After this court appearance, her husband, John Heyman, understandably left her. What? I, I bet he was so innocent in all of this. Stand by your Bertha. <laughs> Bertha's success is attributed to the fact that she played on people's greed, promising wealth later in exchange for a fat down payment now. Yep. Which sounds very familiar. Uh-huh. Her grift consisted of her playing the part of an exceedingly wealthy woman who was experiencing trouble accessing her funds. All she needed was a tiny sum of money to access her estate, after which she returned the money and pay the party in question handsomely. Can we be sponsored by Netflix for this episode? Because this is literally like the other lady's life. (laughs) Just like a hundred years. Yeah. We can all kind of see where this is going. (laughs) When Mrs. Pauline Schlarbaum. Wow. What a name. Who was an elderly woman from Southfield, Staten Island, claimed that Bertha had stolen $250 or roughly $7,000 today from her boarding house. Bertha decided that a change of venue was in order. She was arrested again on February 8th, 1881 in London, Ontario. That's Canada. (laughs) For those that don't know. What? (laughs) She crossed the border. Canada? Yeah. At this time, she was in the company of a man named Dr. J.E. Coombs. Or Combs was another alias. Mm. Bertha was charged with conning a Montreal commercial man out of several hundred dollars. A commercial man. Yeah, that's all so I got. So he just does properties, kind of, maybe? That's how I took it, but... Especially, because that seems to be kind of her thing. Is she yeah. swindles properties more than other things? That's kind of how I took that. it. That's how I took it. Yeah, yeah. After her arrest, she fled back to New York. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah. Bertha. Bertha took up residence at the boarding house of Mrs. Pauline Schlarbaum. The same woman she had stolen from. Stop it. Confidence. I can't do that. I can't. 
Stop it. Bertha, Pauline, Pauline, do you not have children? Maybe she had really bad eyesight and she couldn't tell that it was the same woman. Anyway, in June 1881, (laughs) Bertha was tried in Richmond County, Staten Island, New York, after obtaining the $250, $7,000 today, from before, and Uh two gold watches from Mrs. Pauline Schlarbaum. Schlarbaum. Why do I struggle with that name? (laughs) Surprisingly. Let me guess. She was just like cleaning them for her and never gave them back. Probably. You know, this gold is a little tarnished. Mm -hmm. I can fix this. I know a gold guy. I got a gold guy. That's where your 7,000 went before. To the gold guy. They now owe you a watch cleaning. Yep. Two watch cleanings, in fact. So many watch cleanings. Unlimited. Surprisingly, Bertha was acquitted of all charges. How and why and Pauline? (laughs) Pauline, no. Yeah. How was she acquitted? I don't know. Was she really pretty? She was known as Big Bertha. That was later, though. Okay. Well, So was this when she was still, like, a beautiful young lady? Beautiful Bertha? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is when she was beautiful Bertha. This is before Big Bertha took So she was just a pretty young lady, and Mm -hmm. Pauline was the curmudgeon-y old lady that was jealous of her and her two new gold watches. (laughs) Something. She was arrested again, this time by two Pinkerton detectives, and brought to New York City on June 29th, 1881, to face a number of charges. Uh-oh. She was charged with obtaining, under false pretenses, the following. $960, or roughly $27,000 today, from a liquor merchant named Mr. Charles Brandt, as well as $500, which is around $14,000 today, from a glass importer named Mr. Theodore W. Morris. Listen, she was just trying to make a gift set before they were a thing. Yep. You know? She was like, I need your liquor and I need your glass. Yep. I'm going to make a beer stein like you can't believe. As well as an additional $5,000, again, $139,000 today from Mr. Morris. Both men were residents of New York City. Mm -hmm. The Kansas City Times reported, quote, Since her arrest, she has been a prisoner only by name. She occupies a suite of apartments in the courthouse, has been attended by a maid, and is treated to carriage rides every day. She sounds like a prisoner at the Tower of London. Oh, yes. Yeah. She has been at many excursions and spends much of her time in attendance at scenes of festivity in the city. To such an extent... Is this carried that she is called the princess by the residents of the village of Richmond? Wow. In conversation, she is most plausible and graceful and presents an air of injured innocence that induces many credulous person to believe she is really a wronged and persecuted woman. End quote. Still pretty. She's so pretty. She's so pretty. <laughs> Little bee. Little oh, B is so pretty. Oh, Princess B. <laughs> she was tried on October 26th, 1881, and found guilty in the case of Mr. Morris within just Ooh. five minutes. Oh, hell yeah. 
This judge was not messing around. Judge Cowing sentenced her to two years in the penitentiary on Friday, October 29th, 1881. Prison wasn't going to stop Bertha. Oh, no. Bertha was able to work as a servant in the warden's house while incarcerated on Blackwell's Island. Interesting. That's the same island where they had the insane asylum that Nellie Bly broke into. Really? Yes. Nice. Fun fact. (laughs) Fun fact. Fun fact. Insane people. Prison. Wow. (laughs) While serving time, she also became acquainted with a German man named Charles Karp. She does like German men. She loves them so much. They're very Mm -hmm. familiar to her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they live next door. Right. Charles visited Bertha while she was incarcerated at Blackwell's. And while she was serving time, she was able to somehow con Charles out of $900 or roughly $25,000 today, which was all the money that he possessed. Awesome. Was she bu- was she buying ramen at the commissary? It was under the guise that she had a trunk that had a bunch of assets in it, and she needed that money to be able to get it out of storage. Ah, uh, yes, because she can leave prison and go get it. Yes. Yep. Makes sense. Checks out. Yes. The Buffalo Evening News of New York described Bertha as follows: "Quote: She had what is described by the French." As a bell figure. She was a very attractive person and took your fancy the moment she fixed her big, brown, stag-like eyes upon you. Oh, God. <laughs> her deer-like eyes at you. <laughs> yeah, but like a stag? Yeah. <laughs> Not a doe? <laughs> I'm going to come for you. <laughs> I'm going to ram you. Ram you down. I'm stab you with my antlers. Shaped like a bell and I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> Take all your money and watches. Her wavy hair is soft and black, and her hands are white, taper-fingered, and filbert-nailed. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that just means yeah. that she has nice nails. Yeah. Clean hands. Clean hands. Nice clean hands. <laughs> she sat quietly with her dress open at the neck, revealing a shapely throat of a complexion creamy as the inner petals of a lily, and her arms bare to the elbows, soft and dimpled. End quote. Whore. <laughs> I was going to say, that's some uh, Fifty Shades of Grey shit right there. That's a lot of skin, Buffalo News. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. Today Show would never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After her release, Bertha lived at the Hoffman House in New York City. On June 28, 1883, she went to the firm of Saunders and Hoffman, who were brokers, to speak to Edward Saunders. While there, she asked him to advance her $40, or roughly $1,100 today, from a $7,000 check, which is $197,000 today. Right. Seems like a very small amount. Yes. That she claimed belonged to her and that was being held in the Hoffman House safe. Oh, it's already there. It's It's already already there. Yeah. Bertha later received $215, or roughly $6,000, and a valuable diamond from Mr. Saunders, as well as $200, or $5,600 today, (laughs) from his partner, Mr. Hoffman. Wow, they're so generous. So, how? Yeah. 
by putting in their hands a sealed package of worthless papers that she pretended were securities or financial assets worth $87,000. Guess how much that is today. Uh, 87,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, like almost a billion, right? $2.4 million. Oh, super off. I'm really good at math, guys. Don't worry. It's fine. It's fine. It's a, lo- fine. a lot of money. <laughs> Mil- yeah, a, an ex-con. Yes. Who is known for swindling. Yes. Is this, is this one of those things where like they wouldn't, they might not have heard of her kind of scenarios? Yeah, because she's just saying yeah. she's a wealthy woman. Yeah, she's pretty. And it's a sealed envelope. Yep. So it has to be legitimate. Yep. During the course of her negotiations with both men, she claimed to be the hymen heiress that was worth $8 million. There you go. And they believed her. <sighs> at least. Is the accent. At least until their lack of securities in their safe were brought to light. Yeah, that would do it. Bertha once again found herself being tried in the Court of General Sessions on August 22nd, 1883. After her appeal for a new trial was denied, she was sentenced to five years in Sing Sing Prison. Oh, yes. On August 30th, 1883. That judge wasn't messing around. No. She was set free on March 30th, 1887. So she served the full five years. Dang. Bertha is quoted as telling a Jersey City police chief in 1883, quote, The moment I discover a man's a fool, I let him drop. But I delight in getting into the confidence and pockets of men who think they can't be skinned. It ministers to my intellectual pride, end quote. Dang. Yep. She does not like men. Nope. Not their fan. And around this time, Bertha preferred to go by her nickname, Big Bertha so she wouldn't have to explain away the numerous married names she'd accumulated over the years and to also kind of help her not have to give her last name, which obviously is not the name of that heiress. Right. And obviously, whenever she plotted her schemes, she would always throw out the names of her dear friends, who were Mm -hmm. always, of course, exceedingly wealthy and well-known socialites, such as the Astors and the Vanderbilts. Ooh, she's going after old money names. Yeah. Oof. Even while behind bars, during her numerous stints at Blackwell, Bertha was able to convince prison officials to let her have breaks from her imprisonment in order to take carriage rides in Manhattan and even frequently visit the theater. Oh, you know, the Astors invited her, so. Yep. The Vanderbilts have, a, have season tickets. She had to go. Tennis in the Hamptons. Yep. Bertha was, as I mentioned earlier, noted in the Professional Criminals of America book compiled by New York City Police Department Chief Thomas Burns. Noted as criminal number 122, she was described as follows in the original 1886 edition. Quote, 35 years old in 1886. Born in Germany. Married. Very stout woman. Height, 5 feet, 4 inches. Weight, 245 pounds. Hair brown, eyes brown, fair complexion, German face. German face. Oh no. Does that mean she she has stag eyes? (laughs) (laughs) 
She just looks so angry. She's just so mad. The the German German face is uh, ye old's version of resting bitch face. Yep, I guess. An excellent talker has four moles on her right cheek. End quote. The moles are important. Yes. The moles are what what mesmerize you. Yeah, you're like wow. Wow, I really do need suspenders. How did they know? Around a year after her release from Sing Sing, in 1888, Bertha turned up in San Francisco as Bertha Stanley, with a young man she claimed was her son, William Willie H.M. Stanley. Ew, okay. It's believed that her son was in fact her former associate, Dr. J.E. Coombs. Who just looked young? Yeah, we'll kind of get into it. I don't mean a son like a like she's thirty something and he's like twelve. Like no, but yeah, but she yeah she's able to look weathered enough and he's able to look young enough that yeah that's a thing. Yeah. So while in San Francisco, Bertha approached Rabbi A. J. Messing, a leader of the Jewish community, who had known her as a child when she lived in Prussia. She told the rabbi that she had married a Gentile named Mr. Stanley of LaSalle, Illinois, who had passed away. Even though he had left her money and means, she wished to marry within her faith and asked Rabbi Missing for his help securing her a Jewish husband. I hate this because now now you're putting. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I didn't like this part. Rabbi Messing introduced her to several members of Beth Israel Congregation Synagogue, including his own brother-in-law, Abraham Grun. Grun was taken with Bertha, even though at this point, at 36 years old, she wasn't nearly as waif-like as she had once been when she married her first husband. Mm -hmm. Days after Bertha was introduced to Abraham, they were already planning an extravagant engagement party. At this party, her quote-unquote son, Willie, asked Abraham for $500 or $15,000 today so he would consent to letting him marry his stepmother. So he was blackmailing him, essentially. And Abraham agreed. Of course he did. Of course he did. While at the party, Bertha wore a number of diamonds, which were actually fakes. And dresses she had purchased using credit and bad checks. Of course. Her son used this opportunity to suggest to several women in attendance that he could take the women's jewelry and reset the stones into the latest style, such as what his mother was wearing. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Within a matter of days, Bertha and Willie had pawned off all of the jewelry And along with the money that he had gotten from Abraham to quote-unquote consent to their marriage, the pair skipped town for Los Angeles. That makes me so sad. It wasn't until a few days had gone by that Abraham and Rabbi Messing started to suspect that they had been conned. When they went to the police to make a report the San Francisco Police Department showed the pair Thomas Burns' book, and they were able to positively identify her based on her photograph in the collection. Wow. (laughs) Ye old America's most wanted. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. A newspaper noted the following regarding Bertha and Willie's exploits. Quote, 
They ran up large bills in the various stores through the clever fashion they had of shopping in the company of some wealthy Hebrew. Not my words. These are their words. She had for a suitor a popular and wealthy young merchant whom she gave a check for $30,000 on the LaSalle Bank for safekeeping. And he in return gave her a $500 diamond ring and other gems, aggregating several thousand dollars in value. After Bertha left, the duped suitor wired the LaSalle Bank and discovered that the check was worthless. She is wanted here for forgery and counterfeiting. End quote. Awful. So the LaSalle Bank is where, quote unquote, her husband was. Yeah. Detectives were able to trace Bertha and Willie all the way to San Antonio, Texas, where they were arrested by officers James W. Gillen and John Perot. The pair were brought back to San Fran to stand trial for larceny on June 9, 1888. Great. Surprisingly, Abraham still loved Bertha, so when he testified against her in court, he put the bulk of the blame on Willie and painted her as an accomplice. Stop it. Oh, no. This move forced the prosecution to focus their efforts on William Stanley instead. Who is definitely the wrong person. Yeah. Bertha was charged with grand larceny. After stealing a diamond ring from Henry Parson in March 1887, valued at $265, or around $7,900 today. Jeez. Henry stated that he met Bertha in February 1887 at the boarding house of Mrs. Charlotte Gray, at which time she obtained the ring from him after stating that she wanted to make a present for Rabbi Messing. Oh, great. I want to give this to a rabbi instead. I'll just keep it. Thanks. Yep. Quote, she promised to pay $285, or about $8,500 today, for the trinket on the 18th of March, and said she had an income of $1,800, or $54,000 today, mm-hmm. a month. End quote. Oh, sure. Yeah. Feasible. That's why she's at the boarding house. Yeah. And that's why she can't pay you because, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because she spends that amount Yep, every month. Yep. Mrs. Gray stated that Bertha had stayed at her boarding house for about six weeks, during which time she regularly boasted about her immense wealth. Bertha had convinced Mrs. Gray that she would need a chaperone on her return trip to the East Coast and had convinced her to join her. Oh, no. So she could pay for everything. Mrs. Gray had sold her boarding house on the premise that this was happening. (laughs) Mrs. Gray. Not only was Bertha obviously lying about her wealth, but she never paid her boarding bill. That's so awful. Yep. Oh, Mrs. Gray. Because Mrs. Gray, she had told Mrs. Gray she would pay all of her expenses and she would, you know, and pay her a certain amount each month. Yeah. The San Francisco Examiner had a field day talking about her while she was in prison. Here's a snippet. Quote, A sight of Bertha is necessary to let one perceive how a woman with so much flesh and whose appearance has been often referred to as homely could attract the attention and win the confidence of men. (laughs) Yeah. Her power lies in her eyes. The stag eyes. Yep. Mm -hmm. They are brown but of such a dark color, they are bright enough to light up her entire countenance. 
She is not handsome, but she is not bad looking either. And accounts that have been given of her visage have been overdrawn. There is not a tailor's measure in the town that can encompass her ample form. Ooh, lots of fat references. Yeah. And even Oscar Fisher, who is over six feet high, failed, it was rumored, to reach even halfway around her waist when he became her favored inamorata and her promised bridegroom. Gross. Anyone with an eye for distances can readily perceive that the lady has passed her hugging days, but to one who has such a contempt for men as she, this can occasion little regret. They are so mean. (laughs) They are so mean. Like, I'm offended. And I, like, she's a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah. This is the last bit. Bertha's massiveness in repose is not as effective as when she stands up. One finds himself involuntarily calculating whether more cloth is needed for the width than for the length of her garments when she is on her feet. When she moved to the bath, which the prison officials kindly let her have in the receiving hospital, the expressive contours of her person were studied by everyone in the jail. Yet she can carry herself without any unusual amount of effort. End quote. Wow. Oh, yeah. That person did not like Bertha. <laughs> no, no. Wow. Yeah, that okay. was that was All such right. a like wow type of thing that I had to include it because yeah, I was stunned. Damn. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. As for her son Willie, he stated that he was twenty-four years old at this point. Bertha is thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. And that Bertha was his stepmother after his father had died three years ago in LaSalle, Illinois. Which would explain why their ages are closer. Yes. Unsurprisingly, the trial garnered a lot of attention, which Bertha was very aware of. Of Following a civil and criminal suit, Bertha was acquitted of all charges. Of course she was. While Willie was found guilty of obtaining goods under false pretenses, and was sentenced to six months at San Quentin and fined $100, or around $3,000 today. Sorry, Willie. Say what you will about her, but Bertha possessed a keen knowledge of human behavior and had the ability to deceive even the shrewdest of people in manners of business. That's insane. It's going to get even more insane. No! Following her acquittal, Bertha considered opening another millinery. That is... (sighs) Until she was asked to appear on the stage of a low-class opera house by a theatrical man named Ned Foster of San Francisco, who had bailed her out of jail. Okay. Is she going to be a vaudeville actress? Are you kidding me? No. Bertha would pose in scenes that recreated her crimes in San Francisco. Oh my god. As well as her posing in classical scenes in flesh-colored tights, which was a huge taboo at the time. Mm-hmm. The opera house soon began to see larger and larger crowds, eager to see Big Bertha opposite an actor named Oofty Goofty. I'm not making this up. Oofty Goofty. Oofty Goofty. Who was a German-born okay. sideshow performer, born Leonard Leon Borchardt. So Oofty Goofty, wow. I'm assuming, is like making fun of his German heritage. Right. Oofty yeah. Goofty. 
It's like the Swedish chef and the Muppets. Yeah. Hmm. Hilarious. In 1889, Bertha took her act on the road and traveled along the West Coast, sometimes even performing as a collar and elbow wrestler that frequently knocked out her opponents in staged boxing matches. Oh my god. (laughs) What is her life? (laughs) Right? Oh my god, this woman. Unsurprisingly, she attracted a number of admirers who showered her with gifts as well as marriage proposals. She performed at such venues as Woodward's Gardens, Bella Union Theater, and Cremorne Gardens. Around this time, reporters were able to track down her first husband, Fritz Kirkow. Really? Who ran a very popular cafe in L.A. When Bertha went to meet him, Fritz later admitted that he had burst into tears upon seeing her. No. I'm assuming happy tears, because... I don't know. Well, I think she was the one that wanted the divorce, not him. Yeah. We don't quite know what actually happened with that. Yeah. In 1893, at the age of 42, Big Bertha was not only performing, but she also managed a number of honky-tonk theaters in Spokane, Washington. What? (laughs) Yes. Bakersfield, California, and Butte, Montana. I can't. I can't handle this woman anymore. Oh, my God. In Spokane... It was a casino and comique that ran shows from 7.30 p.m. to 2 a.m., after which the men would lounge around the stage and drink wine until 3 a.m. Ooh. In an article that was published around this time, it states that Big Bertha weighed around 450 pounds. Okay. And she was traveling? Which is much larger than the 245 she was upon her release from Blackwell back in 1887. Yeah. I would assume the hard lifestyle probably contributed to that. I'm assuming. Bertha passed away at the age of 50 in May 1901 in Chicago, Illinois, where she managed another honky-tonk dive bar. Honky-tonks. Bertha and honky-tonks. Never would have thought. Yep. And that is the wild and wacky story of Bertha Heyman. Wow. I need to see a picture of her. Also known as the confidence queen. There she is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'll have pictures. This was, she was, uh. That. She was not an attractive woman towards the end. Life was Um... rough for Bertha. She had, <laughs> her stag eyes were very dead mm-hmm. towards the end of it. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Do you love Marvel but are tired of hearing Cheeto-stained white guys talk about it? Are you hoping to see the X-Men and Avengers face off? Do you secretly want to be Jessica Jones or Daisy Johnson? Or do you want to be with Valkyrie? If so, you found your new favorite podcast. We're your hosts, Chris and Amy, and we're here to give you the commentary you want, plus occasional interviews with some of Marvel's most brilliant creative minds. We're Marvel, minus the mansplaining. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at themarvelousmadams.com. Madams, assemble! This week's podcast plug is the Marvelous Madams podcast. 
Every week, Chris and Amy take a deep dive into the films and shows of the Marvel Universe from a feminine and inclusive perspective. Nice. I've been binging their take on the Loki miniseries. Okay. And I like how they deconstruct the episodes and like point out and discuss various plot points, mm-hmm. talk about Easter eggs that are hidden in the shows and the movies. Nice. And it's just kind of like a fun and refreshing take on the Marvel Universe because so many of the shows you hear talking about it are more like cis men. So it's yeah. it's kind of, you know. Cause it's just a different lens. It's just a different lens, different. you know, mm-hmm. because traditional quote unquote nerds tend to be male. <laughs> I like their take on it from a different perspective. Nice. And we will have a link to their show in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from Dustin from Sandman Stories Presents. And he Hi, wants Dustin. to know... Hi, Dustin. <laughs> who got too harsh of a sentence, in your opinion? Ooh. Yeah. You know what? The bull weevils. <laughs> <laughs> they, were just, they were just being bugs. They were just being bugs in a vineyard. And they were forced to vacate their homes because of God. So... I have no idea. I have no idea who had too harsh of a sentence. I do. Who? Crown Prince Sato. Sato. The uh, one that was put uh, in the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of... Well, he was, he was really murdery, though. Yeah, but like... You're basically like... Cooking, like really you're, murdery. You're like basically like cooking him alive in a box. Because yeah. it was like July. Yeah. Okay. He didn't yeah. have food or water for like a week. I agree. He was... An awful human being whose like right. mental health spiraled Was into him unchecked. into him becoming like a <laughs> raging psychopath. Yeah. But right. I don't think anyone deserves to be locked up in a box and starved to death in hot summer like that. That's that just seems kind of cruel. That's mine. Thanks, Dustin. Ooh. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> what about the 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 blood queen? What's her name? There's a bit battery. Yeah, like if she didn't do any of those things. How she was just locked in her house. Essentially did kind of the same thing, only it was cold instead of hot. Yep, they like locked her in a room and she like froze Mm -hmm. to death. Yeah. That's a good one. See, we got there. We got there. We got there. I was originally really sad about bugs and now I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Those poor boogs. They just wanted to get drunk off God's wine. It's God's wine. (laughs) So what's something good you'd like to share this week? Something good. Oh, so have you, have you, has mom showed you her diamond paintings? No. The little gemstone things. So Mm -hmm. uh, for her birthday, instead of giving her like an acrylic paint by numbers kind of thing, I got her one where you put like the little gems in it instead because I thought it would be less, uh, it would cause less fatigue Mm -hmm. on like her hands because she has bad carpal tunnel Mm -hmm. and she loves it and she has like three more coming in the mail (laughs) and she's like it's so soothing and so I got one and so this week I'm gonna be doing a bedazzled like succulent painting nice and I'm really stoked I got it today and I laid it all out and I'm super ready to have a sparkly succulent picture in my house somewhere nice it's cool and I got my first Squishmallow this weekend, too. Ooh. Nice. From the Five Below store. <laughs> I think his name is, like, Bernie or Barry or something like that. He's, like, this little gremlin-looking guy. 
Cute. I think it's Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they brought me joy. Does he sit with his arms crossed on a he, they, they don't have arms. He, uh, he's, he's got, he's the same color as Willie, and he's got like a mane. Mm-hmm. And uh, my partner laughed. He's like, he kind of looks like me. And I was like, maybe that's why I like him. <laughs> <laughs> Barry. Like a little, like, gremlin version of my, my partner. So. It's hilarious. Yeah. What about you? What's one good thing this week? I've been getting a lot better with the one wheel. Getting more confident. Nice. Awesome. Thomas and I went to a parking lot and I was practicing kind of like turning by going, you know, like toe side versus heel side. So like I'm leaning forward versus leaning back. Surfing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting better about turning. I should have known when we were like heading there and I was signaling the turn. I had my left arm out Uh and I was wearing like an orange, like McFly type vest along with all my like safety gear. And this truck uh-huh. almost hit me because they weren't nice. paying attention. So as I'm like turning to go on the sidewalk, there's like the mm-hmm. crosswalk sign. And I had to grab onto right. the sign so I wouldn't fall oh, as I was turning. And I like slid open part of my, that webbing between ow. your thumb and your first finger. Oh, ow. And I was like, thanks, bro. That's a lot of nerves there. So I was like, that's fine. Let's keep going. And then... <laughs> Thomas was like, I want you to try and do this jump. <laughs> okay, is this like a Napoleon Dynamite recreation like recreation? What is this? Marty McFly vest and So <laughs> I tried Wicked High Jumps at a school. Wicked high jumps. So I tried to do this basically just kind of like going up onto like a little curb. Nice. Parkour. Parkour. Uh, I could not do it. And the last time I tried to do it, my foot was stuck underneath one of the wing things that holds me onto the board. So when I fell, it like pulled my left leg away from my right leg. So I unintentionally Mm -hmm. did the splits, pulled a bunch of stuff in my left thigh and my groin slash hip area and decided I was done after that. Yep. As you would. Because I'm a yeah. almost 40-year-old lady. <laughs> so uh, I'm fine. I didn't hurt anything other than kind of like my pride and I pulled muscle. <laughs> and I did finish the ride home. Nice. I even went a little further than I normally would. And yeah. You walked it off. I, wa- I rode it off. There you go. And then when I was asked if I wanted to do on another ride later, I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I'm scared. But because my hip really hurts and I don't want to aggravate it any more than I already have. Yeah. So. Yep. That makes sense. On that note, shall we shut her down? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram and Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on YouTube. You should subscribe. Subscribe. If you'd like to send us something in the mail, you can send it to our P.O. box, which is yieldcrimepodcast. P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions, story ideas. Say hi. Hi. If you'd like to support the show, but you can't do so financially, a great way to help out is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and you can now leave ratings on Spotify. This week's review comes from Katie Girl on Apple Podcasts. 
nice. And they say, love it. Five stars. True crime is amazing, but true crime from a way, way back when is even more amazing. This is a fantastic podcast for all things old true crime. And then it's kind of like the two hands up emoji. Ooh. Great stories and interesting conversations. Thanks, Katie girl. Thanks. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee for a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month and join our friends Aaron, Justin, Julian, and Kara. Thanks, guys. Thank you. To get early ad-free access to our content as well as other benefits. And I did put some more designs up on the Redbubble. Look at me. Look at me. Getting some stuff done. I think I got three more up there. Heck yeah. Maybe more. I'm working my way through the list. So you can go over to Redbubble to get some of our merch. Public is still up until I get everything like transferred over. (laughs) And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.